It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, what is new with regard to cash flow planning? There was an interesting article about paying your mortgage down. Yeah, it's a very common question that we get. Once clients know that we give cash flow advice as well as investment advice, we get this question quite a bit. Like, suppose you're a homeowner who has a substantial amount of money sitting in a traditional savings account. Then the question is, should you use it to pay down your mortgage? Well, the surprise here is that when deciding whether or not to use long-term savings to pay down your mortgage, you can simply compare the interest rates to one another. Yeah, and then if your mortgage rate is bigger than your savings rate, then you should consider paying down the mortgage. Check out our website at DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Or it could be more advantageous, though riskier, to seek greater financial reward in the stock market. But there's really no cookie-cutter answer, is there, Doug? There is not. On the one hand, it can be attractive to pay off the debt. And even there are people who have radio programs that talk about being debt-free, pay off your debt. But another way to think about it is to compare what you pay on your mortgage with other investment opportunities. Well, how much cash do you want to have on hand in case of an emergency? So, you know... Most people want to have an emergency fund, right? That's exactly right. And that needs to be part of answering the question. The question is closely related to the concept of portfolio choice. For example, the historical annual average return for the stock market, according to one professor, has been about 9.5%. And the return for the bond market has been 3.5%. So when you just compare those two, then you end up with one type of story. But really, everything depends on risk tolerance and the client's investment horizon. So, Doug, um, you know, financial decisions involve many moving parts, and it can be helpful to separate out the effects of each one. Yeah, you may, for example, want to invest in a mutual fund and not increase your ownership in the house. Homeowners may weigh the benefit of deducting mortgage interest from federal income tax and see if that outweighs the benefit of paying down or paying off the debt with the money that was invested. The question is, does the tax deduction fully make up for the loss that you could have made on 
investing in the mutual funds. And like you say, Linda, because financial decisions do involve so many moving parts, it can be helpful to separate the effects of each one separately. So the decision to pay down your mortgage, sit on your savings, or spend the money may hinge on your personality. If having a peace of mind is important to you, then you may want to pay off your mortgage early. But you may be giving up on better opportunities. And, you know, Doug, I was just remembering uh, we had a client who um, his desire when he was younger was that he wanted to invest all the time. And he and his wife... This is a long-time client of ours? Uh, yes. Over yes, 20... Oh, been with yeah. us over 20 years? Exactly. Still a client? I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And when they were young and they had a blended family and the kids were still in high school and they were always making decisions about, well, this, this one needs a Jeep for high school or this one, uh, you know, the wife wanted to go shopping and he always wanted to hold on to the money. And eventually, you know, as the kids moved out of the house, got married, etc., over time, they became debt-free. And they took advantage along the way of a group, you know, of they took advantage of being in the market. And now... They are debt-free. Yeah, what you're referring to, and I appreciate your attempt to keep it a little confidential, Linda. Yes, the advice that I gave over 20 years ago was absolutely to focus on what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. And he just bit right into that. He said, yes, he saw what I was saying. Don't worry about it. He wanted to know, should he pay off the mortgage? Should he pay off the credit cards? And so forth and so on. Uh, but eventually, as you say... They followed my advice, and now years later, they've paid off the mortgage. Now they are debt-free. But <laughs> and they're multimillionaires. <laughs> they are indeed. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. If you've been thinking about questions about your own personal situation and you would like to work with a financial planner, a certified financial planner in the triangle, call us at Lewis Financial Management. Our number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And call us and we'd be happy to schedule an appointment with you to look at your personal situation. Yes, that's if a person wants a personal consultation of their own, which I think is very crucial. And at last, Jason Zweig has given us some really interesting guidelines in the Wall Street Journal about what to ask when you have that consultation. It was a very interesting article, uh, Linda. Jason Zweig, he gave, uh, I think it was 19 questions. He called it a grand inquisition. But he said 19 questions that you should ask when you are meeting with an advisor. And his first question was, are you always a fiduciary? Always. And will you state that in writing? If you don't get a yes to that, then you should go somewhere else. That's not a fiduciary. The second question does anybody else ever pay you to advise me? And if so, do you earn more to recommend certain products or services? 
Third question, do you participate in any sales contests or award programs creating incentives to favor particular vendors? The fourth question you should ask your advisor is, will you itemize all your fees and your expenses in writing? If you don't get that as a yes answer, then again, somebody is hiding something from you. The fifth question that you should ask is, are your fees negotiable? And the sixth question was, will you consider charging me by the hour or retainer instead of an annual fee based on my assets? The seventh question you should ask your advisor is, can you tell me about your conflicts of interest orally or in writing? I think he said, and in writing. <laughs> oh, yes. And in writing. That's right. So that's right. They should Get, be able yeah, to tell you. That's right. Get the person to commit in writing all these points there. The eighth question was, do you earn fees as an advisor to a private fund or another investment that you're recommending to your clients? So that means, are you a captive agent, right? <laughs> that's one way. That's exactly right. And then there's other ways that there can be fees paid. But you're exactly right, Linda. It's very popular amongst annuity salespeople. Number nine, you should ask, do you pay referral fees to generate new clients? Question number 10, do you focus solely on investment management or do you also give advice on taxes, on estates and retirement and budgeting and debt management and insurance? Now, here the answer to the question, it really depends on your needs as a client. What are you looking for? And that is key when you're doing financial planning, isn't it, Doug? It is. It is. We pride ourselves on making sure that every client that meets with us knows that they're going to be getting not only advice on investment management, but also on taxes and on estates and on retirement and on budgeting and debt management and insurance. That's what, that's what we call comprehensive financial planning. And number 11, uh, you should ask, do you earn fees for referring clients to specialists like estate planning attorneys or insurance agents? Question 12, he said to ask the so-called advisor or the advisor that you're interviewing, what is your investment philosophy? The 13th question that uh, Jason Swag said is to ask, do you believe in technical analysis or market timing? And we can say quite clearly at Lewis Financial, we do not. The 14th question he said to ask is, do you believe that you can beat the market? 15, ask, how often do you trade? Mm -hmm. Question 16, he said, was, how do you report investment performance? What's the method of reporting that you use? So after all expenses compared with an average of highly similar assets, that includes dividends or interest income over the short and the long term. Yeah, so, at Lewis Financial, we break it out very clearly between the chickens and the eggs. And we talk about that, that the chicken is your principal, the egg is the income, and we want to know how are the eggs doing and how are the chickens doing. The 17th question to ask is, which professional credentials do you have and what are the requirements? Yeah, now the best one, in my opinion, is the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation, which requires rigorous two-year study, continuing education, and adherence to high ethical standards. But many other financial certifications are just marketing tools masquerading as fancy diplomas on some advisor's wall. 
The 18th question is, after inflation, taxes and fees, what is a reasonable estimated return on my portfolio over the long term? And his last question was, who manages your money? It should be, I do. I invest in the same assets that I recommend to my clients. If you don't get that answer, then again, you probably are not dealing with the fiduciary. That could so be th- a red flag. Well, I think it was a really good uh, set of questions. Uh, I respect Jason's wag. Sometimes I don't uh, like some of the things he says, but I think this time he really hit a bullseye. 19 easy questions to ask to find out what kind of person you're dealing with. Well, it certainly is important, isn't it, Doug, to, to, to ask the questions that you have so that you can know what are the credentials of the advisor that you're using and is the basis from which they do financial planning, is it product-oriented or is it a seminar and a sales pitch? Or are we looking at your real numbers and coming up with solutions that will address your personal situation? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Okay, let's take Andy's call. Andy, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Hey, good evening, folks. And I, I want to, first of all, just to say thank you, because just through listening to you guys, um, it helps me look at other, I listen to the radio all the time, and it helps me discern financial information shows from other individuals, um, and helps me to scrutinize them more effectively. So the topic what you're talking about tonight is, is just very beneficial. Thank, thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Here's the question I have, and I, I I'm of, I'm of the mindset that a certified financial planner is the right course, right path. Um, my question is, as I'm evaluating, and I know all some of the certain forms that you've talked about in the past, you know, in terms of evaluating one CFP versus another, how does it, how does it come down to the fact that if I see somebody with 12 years experience versus somebody with 12 years experience versus somebody with 15 years experience, and then one person charges X, and then one person charges double that, and one person charges 50% of that, and I'm, I'm talking about on an hourly basis, mm-hmm. what's the best way for me to compare apples to apples? All right. Well, we need to separate two parts of your question to get the answer. The first thing is the certified financial planner designation, which I, I, I am strongly in favor of, is an educational degree. It really, and, and there are people out there uh, who are just peddlers of selling investments or selling annuities, and they happen to have gone through that education. So the educational part is crucial, but we need to go one step further past that and find out is the person that you're dealing with not only a certified financial planner on education, but is he a fiduciary bound by the SEC? And that's a legal distinction. So that's the second thing. If he does not offer you a form ADV, then he is not a fiduciary. All right, so that's Apple Dennis Victor. You said ADV. ADV. It's the it's the it stands for advisor, and it's required by the Securities and Exchange Commission. Every fiduciary has to file one, and is supposed to be giving it to you at least forty eight hours before you meet or before he pays you any fees. So that's the second thing you want in that ADV. It will tell you how long the person has been 
a, uh, doing his job, how long he's been employed. Uh-huh. It, it will tell you any violations. It will tell you the history and so forth. So now we come to the next part, and it will tell you the fees and the services. So it's a disclosure on the person's background, experience, and their fees. Okay, so now we have two parts to the answer of your question. First, for education, you want a certified financial planner. For regulatory supervision, you want a fiduciary which means he should give you a form ADV that all fiduciaries are required to. Then you want to focus on the other part of what you just said, and that is the amount of experience in the industry. Yes. So I don't, I, I don't want to go ahead and be giving my money to a new certified financial planner who just finished his exams and has just gotten because he's registered with the Securities Exchange Commission as a fiduciary and is two years in business. I want someone who has gone through the goods and the bad times. Now, the next thing I want, and you can find that in the ADV. Okay. But then I want, when I meet him, I want to go ahead and get references of existing and long-term clients. You want to call and speak to clients. If they won't give you references, then there's something wrong. Now that's, that's an interesting point, Doug, that you make. So, should they be willing to give or provide that information prior to me paying them the initial fee if I'm paying by the hour? Well, it depends when you put in the word initial. For example, clients that meet with us, there is no free meeting. Our initial meeting, we charge. However, okay. uh, if we decide to go forward into a long-term relationship, we insist that they call references of ours, long-term clients that will tell them the good, the bad, they'll tell them anything. Uh, and I have a personality that uh, some that offends some types of clients. So that's good. You know what I mean? Well, when I, when basically, I, he's direct, okay? It, he's going to tell you like it is. Yeah, I mean, if, he, <laughs> if, if the client's sitting there in front of my office and says, well, I think I, I can make more money flipping real estate uh, than going into a blue-chip stock mutual fund, and I think it's a good way to go, I'm going to have to tell him, that unfortunately, as a fiduciary, I believe this is a recipe for disaster and you're not going to achieve your goals. Well, that type of advice offends some people. And when they're calling a reference, a lot of my clients would tell you if you were, if you were calling them. Well, you know, sometimes Doug says it in a way that's not the smoothest, the, 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 the most gentle way. But he, So I think calling references is important. Yes, I do. The other thing is you should see examples of reports. In other words, once you know that I don't, I wouldn't focus so much on the uh, on how much is being charged. I mean, I, I have very strong feelings about people that are overcharging. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think people that are charging one percent are way out of line. That's that's far far too much. But I'm hearing that it's supposed to be the new the new benchmark. Uh, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't focus. Let me just put myself in a certain category. Yeah. Because I am not somebody who has a multi million portfolio. But I am somebody that it's very important if I'm paying somebody $100 an hour versus $300 an hour. Right. Because I, I believe in paying by the hour. Good. And so that's what I'm saying. So it's important to me if I'm paying somebody that much, you know, $100 more versus whatever else the other person is doing. And that's important because some of, you, some of what you're paying for may not be quantifiable. For example, the person who's charging you $100 an hour 
may not go ahead and give you advice on uh, on income taxes. You see what I'm saying, or on designing a trust for your estate, or might or something like that. So it, it eventually. It's going to get down to the comfort factor of dealing with the person. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. I wouldn't get stuck. Usually, it's the brand new people that charge the least. That's the way they get themselves going. But then at the other end, we see people that I, in some parts of the country, I've heard of people that are charging 450 bucks an hour. Uh, I think, though, that once you start doing your homework, if you speak to some clients who are there paying the fees and, and getting the advice and you do your research and then maybe, you know, uh, at your first meeting or maybe your second meeting with this person at that time, bring it up. There should be a transparency. The relationship. I don't know if you heard me go through the nineteen questions uh, that you should ask when you when you're no, meeting. I did. I did. Good. I did. Well, you know that that transparency should be very obvious to you. Uh, you come in with that list of questions already and everything. And if there's a hesitation in any of those areas, see, you you, should, you get a sense in your gut that there's not a transparency here. Okay. Well, let me ask you about this as a baseline because you on previous shows that I've listened to that you've had. You articulate that in your practice, you essentially have the potential clients or the new clients provide you uh, their all their information prior to your initial meeting, right? Right. You can get right down to it, so to speak, and also have their questions, specific questions, written down in advance. So make the time as productive as possible, obviously, especially if you're paying by the hour. Should that be the expected norm amongst other fiduciary certified financial planners? Without tooting my own horn, I feel when you meet someone for the first time, you have the right as the consumer to come in with a list of every question that you want answered and expect to get answers. And he has the right or she has the right to let you know ahead of time I'll be prepared for any questions you answer, but do send me your financial statement, your tax return, uh, anything et cetera, that you're going to, et cetera, yeah, et, cetera yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Those things that you you, you obviously have met, have have already spoken to someone at my office because you know that's what I want. I wish everybody did it the way we do it. I've been doing it this way since 1985, and I find that I can make it a working uh, thing. But if a person, for example, has a question on, are you familiar with the QCDs, the Qualified Charitable Deduction? Yes, I am. Okay. Right. So if a client comes into my office and says to me uh, that it's his first meeting and he wants to know, is he making any uh, any benefit sending his charitable contribution directly from his retirement account over to the charity? Now, if he hasn't shown me a tax return so I can see what's happening on Schedule A, because above a certain limit, there's zero benefit. It washes itself out. And so for me to be prepared for the answers, I need to, and to make it a working session, I need to have all that in front of me. Uh, and I think, I think that's what I would hope that every uh, potential client wants is a working session. And, you know, Andy, um, in order to, to make it to your destination, there have to be certain principles in place. 
And what we do in our practice is comprehensive financial planning. And at the end of the day, numbers don't lie. You know, uh, there there are certain principles that a person has to have in place in order to get to the uh, desired destination. And from our standpoint, you know, what we do is we're very methodical about how we do financial planning. And because when clients come to us, we don't know who they are, but if we get all of their numbers, then we'll know who they are on paper. That's right. And it's almost like... You have a premise from which to operate. So then if we go to make recommendations, we know a little bit about you, and we can massage those numbers and make some hypotheticals, right? No, yeah, you're, you're right. And I, and I tell you, you're great, uh, Doug and Linda and, and, and Dawn. I apologize, Dawn. I forgot Deborah. to I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry. I didn't want to leave her out. I just want to leave her out. <laughs> I, I, I've learned so much over the years, and I've uh, last several years listening to you guys. Oh, thank good, you, Andy. You're such a good advocate um, for your that, practice, for your profession. Thank you very much, Andy. And uh, I... Yeah, and uh, yeah, write down for you for yourself if you don't have it down. Write down our phone number nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. And after you've met with someone else, you want to come on over and bring me everything they showed you. I'll be happy to go ahead and just spend our time giving you my second opinion of what they said. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Okay, Thanks Andy, so have much a great for day. Calling. All right, have a great week, and you're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Check out our website at DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Hello, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Yes, Mr. Lewis. Yes. Would you describe revo- revocable living trust? Certainly. And who needs it? All right. And if you do this in your office. Yes. Okay. Number one, yes. Uh, first, let me answer what is a revocable living trust and the answer to do I do them in my office? The answer to that question is yes. I design revocable living trust. I resi- Matter of fact, I design irrevocable trust and revocable trust and I design living trust and testamentary trust. But let me just go right to your question. What is a revocable living trust? Yes. A revocable living trust is a document that has two parts to it. It has the first part about what happens to your investments and your assets while you are living, while you're alive. And it also has in that section, if you become disabled, if you have a stroke, if you become incompetent, what happens and who takes care of those assets while you are alive? That's in the living part. Then the second part, of the revocable living trust document looks like a will because it says at your death, where does everything go? So there's two parts to the revocable living trust. There is the living portion and there is the at death portion. Now the revocable living trust is sort of like a box that you build. It only has instructions about stuff that the trust owns. So When you create the document, the living trust, there's nothing in it yet. You've just built a box. Now you have to put the stuff into the trust, and that's called funding the revocable living trust. So my recommendation is that you should put in it everything, all of your investments. You should put your home, 
You should put everything into it because you're going to give instructions inside that trust to the trustee about what to do if you become incompetent. Now, can I be the trustee? Actually, you can, and I insist in almost every case that you should be the trustee. However, every trust should then have a successor trustee. Yes, if I pass away. No, if you become incompetent. Okay, okay. For example, let's say, God forbid, that you have a stroke and you can't function. Yes. So who's going to take care of you with all these assets that are in the trust? For example, let's say you have a million dollars of investments and you put them all into the trust and you're the trustee and the trustee yourself is paying to you yourself from this trust. That's fine. But then your instructions in your trust documents say that there is a successor trustee and that successor trustee is the one that will, again, they can't get anything for themselves, but they follow the instructions to, to take care of you. Third thing that should be in the trust document, there should be a, uh, a disability panel. Now, I, I, I put those in all of the trust documents that we design. We want disability panel. And, and not many people do this, but I think it's very important because the question becomes, how do we know when I'm incompetent? Who determines that I'm not competent and can't take care of myself? Yes. If, that, if there are no instructions there or if they have the, the typical instructions, it's one or two doctors and then, the, then, the, then you can go down to the courthouse and before a judge and, the, and the, the court decides that you're now incompetent. Well, you don't have to do it that way. While you are still competent, such as today, you have the right to say, my incompetence will be determined by a disability panel composed of my wife and my two children. Yes. I, I don't want any doctors involved. They will know when I'm incompetent. Yes, yes. So that's all that goes in the living portion. And then yes. at the death portion, we have exactly what you want to have, like where does your money go when you die? Then, then it's like a will. Yes. Now, your last part of the question was who should have one. We think younger people generally don't need one. But at a certain age, I, I usually recommend them for most of my clients that I meet with that are in their 50s or 60s and above. Now, let me tell you this. I talked to one of these lawyers, uh -huh. so-called elderly lawyers. He says, if our total wealth is less than a million, we don't need one. What is your take on that? I think that's ridiculous. That's absurd. It's got nothing to do with the dollars. Yeah. It's, it, well, you're, 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 you're trying to prepare for, for, for taking care of yourself. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. The Revocable Living Trust, in my opinion, is designed to take care of you if you become incompetent. So you would recommend a living, uh, Revocable Living Trust for us? Uh, well, once well, once I meet once I meet with you, yeah, once I meet with you, then I'll know a lot more. But most of the time, I'm going to be and then the question comes: funding it, and then having all the provisions in there. You can make these trust documents very creative. Most attorneys don't do that; they just 
they have a little format that they hit the button and it prints one out. But that that's not the way. I think you should make it designed to be very personal for yourself. Yes. Now, we have a will, you know. Yes. We made that about 10 years ago. But as I understand, we still, or my, in, you know, our children still would have to go to the court. Well, when we design the estate portion, we have the revocable living trust. As I said, the second part, the death provisions look like a will. But then we also think that you should have what's called a pour over will, P-O-U-R, which simply says it's very often it's just a one page document. Because if you put everything of your assets in the living trust, then there might be very little that didn't get over there. For example, maybe it was an automobile or some personal property. Yes. The nice thing about the revocable living trust is it's confidential at death. Yes. A will is a probate asset, and therefore it's public knowledge. So uh, if you have a living trust, you would have to go through probate. Is that correct? You do not have to go through probate. So that would be that easier for our children. Oh, much easier, much easier. Oh, yeah, every time I've had a client that's died and we've got a revocable living trust, the life goes on immediately. Uh, yeah, there is no, there is no, there's no waiting because uh, it's all there in the trust document. So it looks like that we need to have an appointment with you and visit you in your office. I would enjoy meeting with you, Bella. I know you've called a number of times. I'm looking, yes, fo- I did. I'm looking forward to meeting with you, and I think it would be a very, it would be a very fruitful meeting. And I wish I called you five years ago. <laughs> it's never too late. The newest client that I just got, uh, he just signed up. He's 81 years old, so it's okay. Well, <laughs> I am 81 also. Oh, there you go. Look at that. All right. <laughs> yesterday, 78. Oh. <laughs> Happy birthday. Wonderful. Thank you. All right, Bella, I'll give you my so phone number. I so that you yeah. happy, we can set up an appointment. Wonderful. You have Thank my phone you. number, 919-872-7000. Yes. All right. Oh, Bella, you, you we charge, you charge by the visit. I right? charge by the hour. That's right. Yes. Thank okay, you so much for I, calling. I appreciate you. You put a very good feeling in my heart. Oh. Thank you, Bella. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. All, All right, right, Bella. Thank you for calling and have yeah. a wonderful week. You're listening to Money Matters with. The Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to dougandlinda.com. That's dougandlinda.com. Doug, what's new in the world of retirement planning? For example, when planning for retirement, you could start by asking yourself, what would you like to be doing in 10 or 20 or even 30 years? What type of lifestyle do you hope to enjoy? You need to ask yourself, do you want to have the freedom to follow your dreams in retirement? And will you be able to continue working because you want to or you have to? So the answers will impact how much that you'll need to invest for the future. That's right. That's right. Baby boomers are redefining retirement as a new beginning. They're determined to stay active and engaged Some may embark on a second career or work part-time doing something they enjoy. Uh, However, others will have to work to meet their expenses. So it's important to consider that increasingly longer life expectations, uh, expectancies, mean that retirement could last as long as three decades. Yeah, that's right. 
And a lot of financial experts will suggest that investors will need enough resources to replace 80% of their current annual income for each year of retirement. But we know we do it differently at Lewis Financial Management. We know that you're going to need to cover your monthly living expenses and your discretionary expenses. You must know that what's needed to go out has to be covered by what's coming in. Can you retire? You can when your investments are producing income to cover your expenses. So if you call us at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000, call us to schedule a personal appointment. That's 919-872-7000. We will let you know, can you retire? Tom, Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? What do you invest in if you only have 75 or $100 a month? I'm recently divorced and I don't have a lot of money. Right. There are funds that will go ahead and take small amounts, and they really do cater to the small investor because they're smart enough to realize that over time, those amounts grow. I don't like mentioning specific fund names on the air, so people don't think I'm recommending any particular fund. I've set up a number of these for clients at $50, $100, $200 a month, $1,000 a month, and the majority of the funds will accept small amounts on a regular basis, but they insist on being able to have it drafted from your checking account. You can't just voluntarily say, I'll send in an occasional 50 and things like that in some of the funds. So what you do is you set up the automatic investment plan and you instruct the fund to draft 50 or $100 a month from your checking account every month until you tell them otherwise. I thank you very much, sir. Okay, well, thank you for calling. Yeah, Tom, if you'd like some further information, I'll be happy to send you our introductory packet. And that number is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us this evening. And that was a very interesting caller, wasn't it, Doug? It was, Linda. And it reminds me that the question very often is, should I invest, if I've got a lump of money, should I invest it at one time or should I go ahead and invest it in a month-by-month-by-month plan such as what we call a pay-yourself-first plan. So technically, this month-by-month plan is what we call dollar-cost averaging. Now, market declines. When markets drop, this often prompts investors to sell their shares. So an investment strategy known as dollar-cost averaging may help ease the emotional roller coaster of investing and keeping the hard-earned dollars working for you. So basically... What is dollar cost averaging, Doug? Well, yeah, dollar cost averaging is a simple practice that involves putting aside a set amount of money each month into your investment or retirement accounts. Now, when you set up a 401k at work, which automatically puts money into that account directly from your paycheck, believe it or not, you are using dollar cost averaging even if you don't know it. But this strategy isn't limited just to 401k accounts. You can do a monthly auto withdrawal from your bank account into your personal investments. So let's say we do one of these. Let's say we uh, set up what we call a pay yourself first plan, a monthly fixed amount. And we're going to go ahead and have this happen on what we might call cruise control. I want to show you how it might work and how much it can benefit in times when 
there's an emotional roller coaster. Let's call it that roller coaster. So let's say that you invest $2,000 in a mutual fund over a period of five months, or you could have just invested the whole 2000 at one time. Well, using dollar cost averaging, you could plan to make five monthly investments at $400 each. And you're going to be buying those shares at highs and lows. And at the end of the five months, you will have invested $2,000. So let's see what might happen during this five months. Let's say the first month you invest $400. The price might be $14 and a quarter. So you're going to buy 28 shares that month. But then the next month, the price could drop. So now your $400, which is on this automatic cruise control. It's going to buy you more, a few more. Well, your price is lower at, let's say, $13.30. So you're right, Linda. You're going to buy more. Maybe this will get you 30 shares this month. Come the third month, again, you're going to invest $400 again. And let's say the market drops again, maybe down to $12.50. So now this time you get 32 shares for the same 400 bucks. And if this continues... You investing $400 each month for five months, you will, if the market drops again to $12.90 and then starts to go back up again, maybe to $13.79, even though it started at $14 and a quarter, you will have bought 150 shares. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. So now let's compare the two different scenarios. Buying $2,000 altogether in the first month at that $14.25 a share, you would have gotten 140 shares. And then by the end of the fifth month, your 140 shares would be worth about 1870 You would have actually have lost. On the other hand, in the example using dollar cost averaging over the five months, starting with 400, 400, 400, 400. Now, you would have ended up with 150 shares, and at the end of five months, it would have been worth $2,004. You actually invested the same amount, but you made $134 more doing it this way. So the benefit of dollar cost averaging is it takes the emotion out of investing. That's because no matter what direction the market is going, you won't waver from your investing plan. So if you're out there listening and uh, you've had some consideration, give it a try. Dollar cost averaging is a great way to build your investments gradually over time. I have seen some of our clients that started when they were children, dollar cost averaging, because their parents began with us as clients, and now they are adults 30 years later, and they're still dollar cost averaging, accumulating their wealth. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it's such an easy habit to instill. It's like cruise control. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000. Eric, this is Doug Lewis. How can I help you? Uh, well, I had a question regarding a retirement, uh, first of all, the 401k. Right. I was wondering if there is a maximum uh, value that you would accrue when they're over a period of time. 
Yes, that's a really good question because you can, at age 70, you can find yourself boxed in to where you're required to take out a certain minimum amount. You've got penalties for accumulating too much, and so that's sort of like the, the guideline that we want to keep in front of us. Now, give me some of your specifics, Eric, and I'll see if I can help you. How old are you? 27. How much are you earning right now, Eric? About 55000 55000 And are you contributing on an annual ba- or monthly basis to your 401k? Yes, sir. Do you know what the percentage there is? 15% of my salary. That's too high. Too high? That's too high for you to be contributing. Yeah. Ooh, I thought I'd do everything I could in that. Well, well you see, explain it, Doug. Yeah, because that was the question you were initially called with, was what to put money for retirement. And one of the problems is you're 27 years old, mm-hmm. which means that this money here is going to be locked up for 32 years before, before you can avoid that 10% penalty. Correct. So there is a match probably, or I presume there's a match that your employer gives you? Yes. He matches or they match to a certain level? Correct. What is that amount? Oh, 6%. All right, that's... 25% to 6%, I think. Uh, I would have guessed a little higher. I would have guessed 6%, but I would have guessed maybe 50%. No, it's not that. It's only 25%. I do Okay. Well, whatever they give you up to that level, that's where I would think I would stop. In other you would words... stop I'll, at a 6%? Yes, and let them throw in theirs. <laughs> Now, well, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't particularly agree with that. Well, I'm the one ans- answering the questions. You're the one asking the questions, <laughs> and, and so right now it's for free. If you were in my office, I'd be charging you an hour, to, uh, an hourly fee to get this advice that you disagree with. So you understand. So you can take it or leave it. What I'm saying is, is that you only have how many investment choices at your 401k? Oh, four. Four, and probably they are not all four major funds. Right. Which means, okay. which means that you're letting the tax tail wag the dog, which is a very common thing. Well, I, I now agree with the 401k. I like your statement of I've got more than four choices out in the market. Great, great. <laughs> very, then send him a bill point. for our services, please. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate this call, Eric. Well, thank you very much. It was enjoyable. Thank okay, you. you take care now. Yes, ma'am. Bye. All right, bye-bye. And if you would like any further information, you can call us at the office at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. You know... I'm reminded of an actual case history that was at the end of something like Eric's talking about. For example, the client I'm thinking of came to us about, I think it was about eight years ago. He had worked for IBM for 30-some years. He also had put everything he could to the maximum into his 401k, they call it there a TSP, Tax Deferred Savings uh Plan. So when he came to us, he faced the very problem that I was just trying to explain to Eric. He now, of course, could roll the entire, and I think it was about- Two million. I think it was was about eight or nine hundred thousand dollars. Anyway, I remember he could roll the entire amount into an IRA tax-free. That was wonderful. Mm Mm-hmm. And now he wanted to retire and start living off of it. And when I explained to him, we can do anything you want now. Let's find out what your living expenses are and let's start drawing that off of your IRA that you rolled this money into. And he asked me what were the taxes going to be. And when I showed him what the taxes were going to be, he was dumbfounded because the taxes were going to be very high. Why are the taxes high? 
It's ordinary income. Ordinary income on a tax return. He's never paid taxes. He thought all those years he was getting a wonderful tax hit or tax benefit. But as I told Eric, he was letting the tax tail wag the dog. It wasn't tax forgiveness. That's right. It's tax, tax deferral. deferral. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. And when and, you take and it And so out. he asked me, what should I have done? Mm. Of course, he had no choice. Mm-hmm. And right. it was fine. Right. I mean. Life goes on. Life no. goes on. But he said, what should I have done? And mm. I told him, if you had come to see me when you were in your 20s, I would have told you, continue to do exactly what you're doing. Absolutely. But Up the to. amount that the company that IBM matches at that point stop what goes there and all the rest of it go into a, a non-qualified retirement account in mutual funds could be the same funds. That's right. He said, well, how would that have been different now? I said, well, it's real simple. If you had 900000 in that account and 900000 in this account or 500000 mm-hmm. and 500, now what you, you could choose to draw your monthly income from either of those two. He said, what would the difference have been? I said, the one that you would have taken from the non-IRA would have been half the price of taxes. He said, you mean I'm paying double the taxes that I would have paid? And that's exactly the case. You will end up paying double the taxes by overfunding that retirement plan. So uh, that's the lesson always, to be learned. Yeah, it's always a balance. I mean, you want to get, you want to put in as much as you can to get up to the free match, that's is what exactly we call it. Right. It's free money. Why, why not take it? At the same time, you want to keep the habit. So uh, if, if it's going on the 401k, it needs to be going. If, if, the, if you've maxed out there, then, then go over to the personal portfolio. Keep that habit alive. Do do the dollars. Do dollar cost average. Do pay yourself first investing. But remember, you want to build up both sides. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Wasn't there another interesting article, Deborah, that you found in financial planning? Really was. It was in regard to... Uh, Exchange traded funds. These are known as ETFs. Now, we've been saying for a long time, Doug, you and I have been saying in meetings on the radio show, we've never liked this thing that looks like something and acts and behaves as something entirely different. We have been consistently advising clients do not buy ETFs because they are not what you think they are. Well, at last, there is... Uh, some exposure coming because these ETFs or exchange traded funds may be so complex and so volatile that they now are going to have to have a distinct set of rules from uh, different from rules that are for stocks. At least that's according to the SEC commissioner. The average retail client, she said, doesn't understand the risks that these ETFs carry. And they don't understand the features that distinguish them from common stock and mutual funds. Yeah, apart from the sheer growth and volume, ETFs have been diversifying as a class, and they have expanded far beyond their equity index origins. Now, retail investors might find themselves invested in investments like currency hedging ETFs or bank loan ETFs. While some new products are being hailed as exotic or innovative within the industry, others have been described as 
toxic. Yeah, I really like that term when she said that. The industry calls them exotic, innovative. She calls them toxic. (laughs) (laughs) She says, I fear that the risk represented by some of these new ETFs may not be fully understood by those who have invested in them. Even plain vanilla equity index ETFs may represent or present risks that are not always anticipated or even understood. You know, you advertise enough and people hear it enough in ads and they just think, oh, it must be fine. Just like that gold ad or that right. uh, annuity ad. If you say ETF long enough, people think, oh, it's just another normal right. kind of they investment. They don't understand the risk. She said, and this is the SEC commissioner, she said, as a class, ETFs at that time experienced greater increases in volume and more severe risk and volatility than corporate stocks. And that's what was shocking was that the the individual stocks themselves didn't go down, but the ETF, the basket or bucket with all these stocks in it, did. Yeah, these products are not traditional index investing, stock investing. They do not always behave the same way as stock securities, and they have left potential gaps in investor protection If they are part of your portfolio or if you are considering them, you need to call our office. We will give you an honest evaluation of what you've got, making sure you understand not only the benefits but also the risks. Our office is at Quail Corners, not far from Quail Corners. Our phone number is 919-872-7000. Our website is DougAndLinda.com. And we care about you. Your money matters because your financial future is at stake and we would love to be able to meet with you. You know, write down your questions. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. We'll be happy to look at your situation personally and meet with you so that you can have comfort for the next few quarters of the year in planning. What are your needs now? What are your goals for the for the near future and for the future when you retire? Absolutely. It's funny. But I would say that Second to, am I going to have enough to, uh, for the, to, for the rest of my life is, have I thought of everything? There's so much that most people don't know that they haven't asked themselves to be prepared for. Do you remember the clients we had on Friday? (laughs) We had them come with a question and they had five questions. We said, before we finished the intro of the, of the Uh meeting, we said, you sure that's all your questions? Uh Well, there was another one. Put that up there. Number Uh six. Oh, there was another. Uh uh, Number seven. Right. Oh, there was another. Right. Because you're right, Deborah. That's right. So, so many questions in the back of people's minds. And when they find out that there is someone they can go to who can answer every one of their financial questions, whether it be cash flow questions, investment questions, tax questions, or estate questions, they, the questions come right out. That's right. Well, everybody have a great week. Thanks for, thanks for joining us on Money Matters with the Lewises. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000 or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.